Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles with you tonight, ooh, it's kind of hot. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you tonight, go to the book of Luke, chapter number 22. The book of Luke in chapter 22. Uh, very, very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, but I kind of want to take a look at it, hopefully through the eyes of this man. Uh, so many times uh, as, we're, as we're going through the Bible, whether it be uh, in our own personal devotions or uh, perhaps in Sunday school or, or in church itself, uh, sometimes we have a, we have a habit of, uh, of looking at the circumstances surrounding a, a specific individual and already knowing the outcome. Uh, we ask ourselves, man, how, how could you do that? You, you already know what's going to happen. Why, why would you do that? And so I want to kind of look at it from, from the eyes uh, of Peter and, and hopefully establish a little bit about the man Peter himself and hopefully get ourselves in the, in the mindset of, of who Peter was and see the circumstances surrounding this, this specific event and hopefully look at it through a human lens and understanding uh, this, this event that happened uh, with Peter. Uh, if you're there in Luke chapter 22, we'll pick up reading in verse number 54. Luke 22 and verse number 54, the Bible says, Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of a hall... And were set down together, Peter sat down among them, but a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest, and immediately, while he had spake, the cock crew. Let's go, Lord, and pray this, this evening. Lord, we love you. And we are thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. And we've had a great day so far. And Lord, we, uh, we certainly enjoyed the morning services, Lord, with Sunday school and the morning preaching. And uh, certainly enjoyed uh, perhaps an afternoon lunch and some time of rest. And Lord, now as we're back in your house this evening, Lord, we've sung some hymns and uh, we fellowshiped a little while. Lord, now as we're in your word, Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to to glean, Father, from your word, Lord, the things that you'd have for us. Lord, help us to, to see this man, Peter. Help us to see the situation. And Lord, I pray we'd see ourselves in Peter. And Lord, I pray we'd be able to, to draw some things from him. Lord, be able to understand some things about our own lives. And Lord, help us to realize that the failure is not forever. Lord, I pray you said, have all the honor and the glory tonight. Lord, I pray you just speak through me. And Lord, I pray that your word be heard. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. The title of the message is simply, Failure is Not Forever. Failure is not forever. Go, or hold your place there in Luke 22 and go back to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew in chapter 4. Read a few verses here of where Christ first called Peter uh, when he was just a fisherman. He, uh, Matthew chapter 4, look in verse number 18. The Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting it into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I would, I would submit to you this evening that Peter and his brother did not step out on the boat that morning. Uh, they did not launch out from the seashore and say, You know, today, today is the day that Jesus Christ is going to call us to be disciples. Uh, today is the day that our lives will be changed forever. Today is the day that we are going to forsake our family. We're going to leave the nets. We're going to leave the very profession that we've always known. That was not the conversation that Andrew or that Simon and his brother Andrew had. 
I imagine it was much more just a normal day. They they got together and said, well, well, Andrew, hey, Simon, hey, how's it going? Let's uh, let's get on the ship and let's go catch some fish. And, you know, our, our livelihood kind of depends on this. Let's, let's get out there and let's hope we get a good catch. So Simon and Andrew, they make their way out there and their lives are changed forever when a man, Jesus Christ, comes by their way and calls them and, and brings them into his service. And, of course, we know the story that Simon and Andrew, they left their nets, they, they left their father, they left their family, and they went and followed Christ, and their lives were forever changed. Uh, skip over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Uh, certainly by this point, Andrew and, and, and his brother Simon, they had, uh, they, they've seen some amazing things happen to this point. Uh, they've seen Christ do many miracles. They've seen uh, other disciples call alongside them. Uh, now there are 12 of them. They're all together. And Jesus Christ is sitting here in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 1. The Bible says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And if you continue reading on there through uh, verses 2 on through the rest of the chapter, you'll see the rest of the disciples named. And you'll see the things that they start to do as they've been sent out by Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ uh, called them in Matthew chapter 4 and said, I will make you fishers of men... Uh, we now see that starting to take place in Matthew chapter 10. Peter, once being a fisherman, now a fisher of men, has, has been given power by Jesus Christ, is, is filled with the Holy Spirit and able to do things uh, that he never thought he'd be able to do, and he's empowered uh, powered by God. Uh, skip over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We don't have all night to go through the life of Peter. Just kind of hitting some highlights here. Matthew 16, and look at verse number 13. Matthew 16, and in verse number 13. The Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here we have the, the, the early start of Peter. Uh, we've seen his call, we see him being sent out, and now we see a very, a very uh, famous conversation uh, that Christ has with Simon Peter. When Peter publicly confesses that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So you can see the, the relationship already starting to formalize in Peter's mind. He knows who Christ is. He loves Christ. He has left all to serve Christ. He is all in, if you will, for this man, Jesus Christ. Now, if you skip back over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we find ourselves in this place uh, where Peter never thought he would be. Peter never thought he would be. Number one, I want you to see Peter's position. Peter's position. Uh, you're there in Luke. Go back to the book of Mark, chapter number 14. Mark, chapter number 14. We'll pick up reading there in verse number 33. Mark 14, verse 33. The Bible says, And he talked, or, and he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be very sore amazed, and to be very heavy. I want you to see that Peter had a, a specific proximity to Christ. Peter was closer to Christ uh, than most of the other disciples. Matter of fact, there were three of them 
uh, that most would say were in Christ's inner circle. Uh, that would be Peter, James, and John. Uh, these three men were closer to Christ than any of the others, any other disciples. And, and several times throughout the New Testament, we see when these three men are called apart from the rest of the disciples to follow Christ through a very specific event. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 6 and verses 13 and 14, uh, we see there are the first disciples mentioned. In Luke 9 verse 28, they were the ones who went with Christ into the Mount of Transfiguration. In Luke chapter 8 verse 51, we see they're the only ones allowed to follow to Jairus' house. Uh, we remember that the man, the, the, the rule of the synagogue there, Jairus, his daughter was dead. And they're allowed to come in uh, only with them, the, those three, Jesus Christ, and obviously the daughter's mother and father. They're the only ones allowed to come in and see uh, that take place. So we see Peter's position, he was close to Christ. He loved Christ. He wanted to do everything he could in his life to please Christ. And we see there are some things that happened in Peter's life uh, that ended in probably one of the most famous failures uh, in the Bible. Uh, we see also his proximity uh, to a crowd. Uh, you're there in Luke chapter 22, I'm sorry. Uh, Luke chapter 22, and we'll pick up reading there, there verse 54. Then, they, then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. Verse 55, And when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the hall and, and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. All the other disciples, after the, after the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, what happened there when, when Judas betrayed Jesus Christ, uh, everybody fled. Everybody left. They got out of town. They, they left. They, they saw what was coming and they left. Uh, this was, of course, this was foretold by Jesus Christ himself. Uh, he said, this is what's going to happen. And Peter, uh, Peter, of course, we'll get to this later on in the message, but Peter says, no, I will never leave you. I will never, dis- I will never uh, get away from you. I'm, ne- I'm going to follow you, even if it means I die. I'm going to follow you. And that is what Peter was doing. Uh, after everyone else left, Peter uh, followed. In verse 54, we see that Peter followed from a distance. It says in verse 54, and Peter followed afar off. Now, I don't know why Peter followed afar off. I, the, the Bible doesn't really say exactly why he was, he was so distant from them. I mean, if, uh, if, we're, if we're kind of thinking about it logically, uh, this, this group of people that came to arrest Jesus Christ, uh, they didn't like him. Uh, they didn't like him, which naturally means they probably didn't like his followers. So Peter may have felt like his life was in danger. So Peter may have followed afar off to just kind of keep a, a bird's eye view of what was happening, uh, staying close enough to see what was happening, but staying far enough away uh, so that he would keep himself out of danger. So the group of people that Peter found himself with, uh, they were not friendly towards Christ. We see Peter's position. Secondly, we see Peter's predicament. Look over in Mark chapter number 14 again. Mark 14, and we'll look in verse number 27. Mark 14, in verse 27. The Bible says, And Jesus saith unto them, and, and I'm sorry, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more, the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. Peter, Peter doubted what Christ was telling him. Uh, Peter saw it as, a, you know, Christ was telling him exactly what was going to happen. And Peter, in all good intention, he's like, no, Lord, that, that's not going to happen. 
that's not me. That's not who I am. I'm not going to do that. And I think many times in our own Christian lives, our own lives in general, we have the best of intentions, but sometimes those good intentions don't line up with what actually happens, right? Uh, we, we sometimes find ourselves in a situation where we have, we have done something to either offend a holy God or to offend a, a brother and sister in Christ, or we've let our own selves down, and we get to a position where we, we swore up and down, this will never happen to me, but we find ourselves in front of failure. Peter had doubt. Peter had the best of intentions. But look over again in Luke chapter 22. Uh, we'll be skipping back and forth between these two passages. Uh, Luke 22, look down in verse number 31. Just a few verses back. Verse number 31 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren." And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. Satan desired to sift Peter as wheat. Uh, Are any farmers? I know we have a couple guys that that work on a farm. Uh, Anybody use old, like old farm equipment uh, to sift wheat? I I was kind of studying this out. It it was very interesting. Uh, In the the olden times, before they had had all the machinery, uh, sifting wheat was done by a, there are two processes. Uh, the first was by threshing. Uh, so what they would do with this wheat is they would have a, a tool called a flail. And, and really a flail looks like a giant nunchuck, uh, if, you're, if you're a fan of karate. Uh, so a, a nunchuck, right? Uh, so a, a flail is a, a little bit larger, normally made of wood uh, with a leather strap. And what they would do is they would take this flail and beat the wheat until the chaff and the wheat germ or the seed were separated. And they would beat this over and over and over and over and again until that happened. And then they would go through the process of picking all that stuff up off the floor, throwing it up in the air. The wind would drive the chaff away and the seed would fall back down to the threshing floor. Uh, so, you know, the, the thing is, the, the picture that you get here is that sometimes the flail of sin will beat you to a pulp and toss the remnants into the air. You know, sometimes if we allow, if we allow Satan to disrupt our lives and to get in our lives, and get in into in what we do every day, to get in, and get in between our relationship with our Lord, to get in between our relationship with, with our family, with our friends, to get our, in between our, our time in church, to get in between our time with, with reading the Word of God, with, with our prayer life, we will see that Satan is trying to beat our lives and beat us into submission to get us out from doing what God wants us to do. The flail of sin will beat you to a pulp. We see Peter's predicament was doubt. We also see his predicament was distance. Then again, look over again in verse number 54, Peter followed afar off. As we mentioned earlier, uh, it may have been out of fear for his own life. It may have been out of a, a personal uh, like self-defense kind of thing where he's trying to protect himself. Uh, we don't know exactly what it was, but he started to distance, distance himself from God, and this ultimately led to a, a chain of events that would lead to an ultimate failure. We see distance. <clears throat> we also see denial. Look again in verse number 56. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also is with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. We see denial. 
the thing is, you know, sometimes in the Christian life, uh, we think that we're doing okay as long as we don't outwardly deny Christ. As long as we don't come out and say, no, I'm not a Christian. No, I don't go to church. No, I don't read my Bible. No, I don't pray. No, I don't witness. No, I don't pass out tracts. No, I am not involved in, in witnessing or, or evangelism whatsoever. As long as we don't say that, then we're not literally denying Christ. But have you ever thought about your lifestyle and the way that you carry yourself, the way that you handle yourself, the, the company you keep, the friends you have, the conversations you partake in, all of these things, if they are not in line with the Word of God, if they are not in line with Christ, then they are in line with the world. And that is a way, that is a form of denying Christ. You're denying who you are. Uh, uh, Brother John was preaching this morning about our, our um, uh, in, intentional Christianity. Sorry, I was, was kind of struggling on the eye there. Uh, intentional Christianity and our identity as Christians. That is who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. That is what God saved us to be. And I was going to preach a different message tonight about our lives and who we are as Christians and how we're supposed to carry ourselves. Uh, but the Lord directed, obviously, in a different way. Uh, but the thing is, our identity is tied to Christ. And everywhere we go, we carry that identity with us. And when we do not walk as a Christian, we do not walk in the way uh, that God has ordained, then we are denying who we are. We are denying what God has set us out to be. So we see, see, uh, we see Peter's predicament. We also see Peter's progress. Peter's progress. Look there in verse number 60, 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. We see this, this look of Peter. What happened with Peter, uh, Peter went all the way through. He denied Christ three times. And as soon as, as, soon as that cock crew, that, that second time, Peter knew exactly what was going on. Peter remembered. He recalled to mind what God told him. What, what Jesus Christ had told him there, Peter, Peter remembered. And then he saw the look. He caught a look of Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew Henry, in his commentary, wrote some very interesting uh, thoughts here about this look. He said, first, it was a convincing look. A look that says, you don't even know me? You, you don't know me? You, you don't know the person that you loved? Uh, I, I remember when I was, uh, when I was much younger, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I, was, uh, I was in high school choir. And uh, there were some popular kids uh, in our high school that were in the choir. Uh, I know it's, it's odd to say, but I was not the popular kid. It's weird, I know. Uh, but uh, I, was, I was the outcast. I was, I was the, the nerd, if you will. And, uh, but I, you know, because I had this class with all these other people that were popular, uh, and they knew me in class, and we would, uh, we would carry on a conversation during class. Uh, and then one day, we're out, uh, we're out at lunch and walking through the, through the quad, and, and I see this individual standing there, and I, I kind of wave at him and say, Hey, how's it going? And I get one of these. That, that feeling, the, the, the immediate feeling of, you don't know me? We, we, we've talked in class. I mean, there, we know each other's names. We, we certainly know each other. I can imagine that was the look that Christ gave Peter. I can imagine Peter automatically knowing, and that failure just over, overwhelms him. So we see it was a convincing, it was also a chiding look. A chiding look saying, I can't believe you would do this. You know, as parents and raising younger children, uh, sometimes all it takes to get that child's attention, even to make that child cry, not that, that that's the goal, uh, but sometimes just a look 
will bring that child to tears. Especially when they're younger. I mean, when they get older, they're, they're a little more hardened and you know, they've gotten used to the look. Uh, but when they're, when they're much younger and you give them that look, they, they know automatically what's happening. And they know. They know I'm in trouble. I, I am wrong. And that, that child that looks at their parent, that, that child that, that looks in the face of the parent that's the first face they see when they wake up, the last face they see when they go to bed, that chiding look that comes from a person of authority, that, that parent figure, is the same kind of look, I believe, that Christ gave Peter. We also see it as a disappointing look. You confess me to be the Christ. You, we, we read there in Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse number 13 through 18, when Peter said, Thou art the Christ. And, and Christ then acknowledges Peter and says, You know, Peter, that you know, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter, the, you admitted that I am the Christ, but yet now you deny me? You deny that, that, that I am who I say I am? Fourth, there's a compassionate look. A look that says how lost you would be if I don't help you. And I'm sure in our, in our own lives we see those people uh, every day that uh, if we do not help them, if we do, we do not assist them, uh, I, I think of Christ when he looked out on the multitude having compassion because they were scattered as sheep having no shepherd. That type of compassion is the type of compassion that Christ looked on Peter, the type of compassion that led Peter to a repentant heart. It was the directing look. It was a look to go and to consider what he had done. A look that says, you know, think about what you've just done and dwell on that and come back. And then lastly, it was a significant look. It signified the conveying of grace to Peter's heart. A look that said, Peter, even though you failed me, I still love you and I can still use you. We see not only was he distraught, he's also not destroyed. Look over in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 6. Mark chapter 16 and in verse number 6. <clears throat> For context, go back up to verse number 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him, as he said unto you. You know, it's interesting that of all the disciples, this man calls out Peter. Go tell all the other disciples and Peter. Don't forget about Peter. That look that Christ gave Peter was not the look of, you're finished, we're done. You want to deny me, I'm going to deny you. And isn't that the way, you know, most times as people we react? Uh, people say, well, I don't know you, fine, I don't want to know you anyway. We're not friends anymore. We're done. That is not the way that Christ responded. Christ's response towards Peter was one of love, drawing him back into fellowship. And we see here in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, that the man says, go tell the disciples and don't forget about Peter. Get Peter too. I especially want to see Peter. I want him to know. Go to the book of John. John chapter 21. 
John chapter number 21. And we'll pick up reading in verse number 3. John 21 and verse number 3. This again is after the resurrection. Uh, Jesus Christ is no longer in the tomb. And, and here we find in the last, book, or the last chapter of the book of John... Uh, We'll start reading in verse number one, rather. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and of the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, or saith unto them, I go a fishing. Uh, you can see that Simon Peter was a ringleader here. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Skip on down to verse number 7. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Skip on down to verse number 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. So here we see this, uh, this, interact, this last interaction with Jesus Christ and Simon Peter. And uh, several people have, have said, and several commentators have even said, that uh, they, they believe that this, uh, this interaction, this, this dialogue between Christ and Simon Peter was really a reflection of the three times that Peter denied Christ. Uh, Peter denied Christ three times, and here Christ is, is reiterating that Peter loves Jesus Christ. Not that Jesus Christ needed to hear it. Of course, Jesus knew exactly what was on Peter's mind. He knew Peter's heart. But he needed Peter to say three times to himself for it to kind of set in that, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Jesus Christ never let Peter get away. Jesus Christ always, always had a desire to see Peter restored. Go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8, we're kind of wrapping up here. Romans chapter number 8, look at verse number 35. Romans chapter 8, verse number 35. <clears throat> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Skip down to verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing we can do to separate ourselves from God's love. We fail Christ every day. Uh, I would say, at least myself, I know that I fail Christ on a daily basis. Whether it be the, the person I didn't witness to, the person I didn't give a track to, uh, perhaps I didn't spend enough time in the Bible like I know I should have. Perhaps I didn't spend any time in the Bible at all. Perhaps my prayer life wasn't what it should have been that day. Perhaps I, I treated my children in a way that I should not have treated them or, or responded to my wife in a, living, in a way that was not loving. 
or there, there's a, a number of things uh, that we do on a daily basis that disappoints and fa- we ultimately fail our Lord and Savior. But just because we fail God once doesn't mean God's done with us. Just because we fail God a hundred times doesn't mean that God is done with us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I made a couple of little notes uh, for each point. And the first one was that, under Peter's position, is that fellowship does not guarantee fail-proof living. Fellowship does not guarantee fail-proof living. You see that Peter's, Peter's fellowship with Christ was closer than most of the other disciples. We talked about how Peter was in that, that inner three, that, that inner circle that was closer to God than anybody else. And just because Peter enjoyed that relationship, enjoyed that, that closeness with God, it didn't keep him from ultimately failing. Number two, we saw Peter's predicament in that following the crowd always leads to failure. Following the crowd will always lead to failure. Now, when I say the crowd, I'm not talking about the crowd that wants you to do right. I'm talking about the crowd that goes against God. The crowd that the world would say, this is a popular crowd. This is, this is what it takes to be successful in life. This is what relationships ought to look like. This is, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be an adult. This is, this is what it means to be a teenager. Those types of people are not, if they're not following the word of God, if you're following that crowd, it will lead to failure. And then lastly, Peter's progress is that failure is never final. Failure is never final. Just because we failed God, God will never, ever fail you. Let's all stand with the heads bowed and eyes closed. No one's looking around. I don't know where you are this evening. I don't know perhaps if there's a, an issue going on in your life or a time in your life where you failed the Lord, where you've come short of his glory. I don't know if maybe there's a circumstance in your life right now where, where you feel like you're failing, where you feel you're not good enough. Can I just remind you that nothing can separate you from the love of God? The devil would like nothing more than to convince you that as a failure, you just ought to give up. Give up on the Christian life. Give up on trying to please the Lord. Give up on trying to live right. Give up on being who God made you to be. Let me encourage you this evening. If that's you tonight, the altar is open. Come Bear your heart to the Lord and ask for his help in restoring you from failure. As the altars are open this evening, Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. May I remind you that Satan is the father of all lies, that he's the great deceiver. And he's the one that'll get us to fail, not so that we fail necessarily.